you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. We're going to hear from verse 11 through 19. In this spirit of gratitude and the spirit of praise to the Lord. We go straight to our text and the scripture says in Luke 17 verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus's feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This morning, I want to focus another one of our mic drop moments on the theme, one out of ten. Let me ask you, is one out of ten good? Ten percent. If it depends on really what the scenario and the situation is, one out of ten could be good, one out of ten could be terrible. For example, in sports, for those of you who Keep up with such things. If you make one out of 10 free throws, are you doing very good? If you catch one out of 10 passes as a wide receiver, are you going to remain a wide receiver? No. But if you're a golfer and you hit and sink one out of 10 eagle putts, which is a good thing, would you be a superstar? Yes. Well, maybe sports aren't your thing. Maybe you're a person of business. Let me ask this. If you make one out of 10 sales as a business person, are you doing very well? Well, it all depends. If you sell one out of 10 diamond rings that are over 20,000 each, are you doing okay? But if you only make one out of 10 sales on the car lot, are you going to remain a car salesperson? Probably not. Well, what about school? How many of you are striving, students, college age, high school, middle school, you're striving for a good 10% in your math class? Really aspiring for a 10%. I think that might be a little difficult. Well, I know if any of you are married, how about you remembered your anniversary one out of every 10 years? Or if you got a bunch of kids, you 
remembered their names right one out of 10 times. Well, that actually might be a miracle if you had a large family. One out of 10 has a lot to do with the situation, a lot to do with the scenario, a lot to do with what's going on around the one out of 10. In Luke chapter 17, we see an example where one out of 10 is both praised and nine out of 10 are challenged by Jesus. It all starts when 10 lepers meet the one Savior. The 10 meet the one. As you see in our text, Jesus is traveling through a region that is leading him on the way to Jerusalem. We are moving ever so closer to the crucifixion, to the point of his death. And yet in this traveling, he goes through a village, verse 12 tells us, and he is met by 10 lepers, 10 individuals with leprosy. Now, leprosy in the day and time of Jesus could be a wide range of skin issues. It could be as slight as really, really bad acne or eczema or something I suffer with, which is called psoriasis. In some places, my psoriasis elbow would make me a leper. Not here. I'm not contagious. Just take that off your, your minds. But in other ways, a leper could truly be as severe as someone who is losing fingertips Partial loss of their nose, ears, any of the extremities on their body that are at the edges, toes, fingers, could be literally falling off, rotting with disease. And they were infectious, meaning the leprosy could pass from one to another. And so they had to live often in colonies or in groups. You see here in this text, 10 are together. And in their society... There would be all sorts of things set in place to prevent the lepers from being involved with the people. And so the scripture actually points to this. In verse 12, they are standing at a distance. They're not willing to walk up to Jesus and they're yelling with a loud voice. They're calling out to him. Examples of the distance that is required. They don't whisper in Jesus's ear. They don't come and taken by the hand, they're standing apart and they're yelling, Jesus, have mercy on us. They're speaking his name and calling him master, calling him a Lord and authority and a healer, and they're begging him for mercy. If you still have your Bibles, I invite you just to turn back a few chapters to Luke chapter five. I'm certain that this group possibly got the news or heard the report that Jesus had at another time healed a leper himself. And Luke chapter five tells of that situation where Jesus entered into one of those cities, Luke five, verse 12, and a man, it says, came full of leprosy, not a spot here or there, but he's completely covered in leprous sores. And the scripture says when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him. Here's the words from that single leper. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Luke 5.13 says, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. 
See, in the scenario of our text today, they're not even willing to get close to Jesus. They're not even willing to be in his, in his circle. They're standing at a distance. They're standing far off. But they have heard of another occasion where Jesus not only heard a leper and saw a leper, but he touched a leper. Jesus' touch caused that man to be made clean instantaneously. And so they called to him, Lord, be merciful to us. They shout his name. They invite his presence. And you know, as a group of this 10, they are going against the society. They are going against the norms of that culture. They're seeking out a miracle. And they've come to the one who is the miracle maker. All of their life. As leprous people, they have been shown very little mercy. But they are coming to the one who is full of compassion and mercy. The ten meet the one. And glory be to God, verse 14 tells us that the ten are changed. All ten are cleansed. Verse 14 again in Luke chapter 17. And when he saw them, when Jesus laid his eyes on them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. He sees them. He hears them. In this scenario, he doesn't have to touch them. He doesn't even have to put his fingers on their bodies. He just calls to them, speaks to them, declares to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And in their going, they are cleansed. Now, I'm not certain, brothers and sisters, if it was instantaneous, as in the previous man, or as their steps went further, their skin slowly restored. I don't know if it was a process miracle or an instantaneous miracle. I just know Jesus does miracles. Amen. But he tells them to go show themselves to the priest. Now, if you would grant me a little liberty today, my Valley Creek family, what Jesus is doing is actually following the Levitical law to a T. And if you're not so familiar with the book of Leviticus, it's not one that we read often for devotional. It's a little, little heavy. But in, Luke, in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, there is an enormous set of instructions on how to one deal with someone with leprosy and then what to do when someone with leprosy is cleansed. Chapter 13 goes through an enormous amount of instructions on how to set up the community and how to set up the arrangements. And depending on the level of leprosy, how severe, how widespread, how you are to engage them and how you are to care for them, how they are still to be received. But chapter 14 of Leviticus, God speaks to Moses and gives him specific instructions on what to do on the day that a leper is made clean. It sounds something like this in Leviticus 14 verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of their cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest and the priest shall go out of the camp and the priest shall look. It's getting an examination, getting a check. Then if the cases of the leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, then the priest shall command them to take for 
himself to be cleansed and to make a sacrifice. And then he will be pronounced clean, but it doesn't stop there. So Jesus is telling them to follow the Levitical law of chapter 14. You have been cleansed. Go show yourself to the priest because the priest is going to declare your cleansing. And then if they truly are cleansed, they will make an offering, a sacrifice to the Lord for thanks. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 8 of Leviticus 14 says, And they are to be cleansed, shall wash their clothes and shave off all their hair and bathe themselves in water, and they shall be clean. And after that, he may come into the camp, but live outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day, he shall shave off all his hair from his head and his beard and his eyebrows. He shall shave off all of his hair, and then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. It's like a spa treatment. That was my best attempt at humor today, friends. Sometimes y'all are hard on a preacher. Y'all know that? Make me work up here. Lots of steps, lots of procedures, lots of protocol. If you were cleansed by the Lord, if you are healed and no longer leprous, you have to go through these steps. Show yourself, be examined, make a sacrifice. Eventually, shave off all your hair, your beard, change your clothes, take a shower, take a bath, get everything in order, live seven days outside your tent, but at least you're in the community, and then eventually you get to live inside the community, you're brought back into full life. Now, why, why would all of that be required? Why would all of that be necessary? It's because when they were declared a leper, everything of their life was stripped away. Their place in the community, often their homes, their jobs, their place of worship. They could not gather to be in the presence of God with others because of their infection. Everything was stripped away from them. Everything was lost. And the only way they were allowed to re-enter into the community and allow for former things to be returned was to go through these steps. And so when Jesus tells him, go and show yourselves to the priest, the nine are immediately going through the list. They're going through the steps. They can't wait to be reintroduced into the life that they have lost for years. They are so consumed with doing the things that they know is required of them that they forget to say thank you to the one who has cleansed them. Friends, and the potentiality for every single one of us who have gone through the radical, life-giving, life-changing transformation that comes by faith in Jesus Christ is to start immediately and running through all the steps and all the procedures and all the ways to be included that we forget to give thanks. We forget to have a spirit of gratitude. We forget to return praise to the one who has done an amazing work in our life. Friends, has God worked tremendously in your life? Have you returned thanks? Or have you been so speedily into returning to the way things once were and getting back into the patterns of normal life rhythm that you forget, as easy as it is, to celebrate and to cheer and to applaud and to give thankful heart praise to the one who has done a great work. 
You see, we all have the potential of being the nine. And as we see here in this passage, only one returns. Only one. Only one of the ten gives thanks. What a sad statement is that the nine are off doing their thing and only one, 10%, actually even take the moment, take the time to turn. Verse 15 says, then one of them, only one of them, when he saw that he was healed, so truly when he sees his body going through the transformation, seeing his wounds heal, seeing his body restored, only one turns back praising God with a loud voice. It says in verse 16 that he gets to Jesus and he falls on his face at Jesus' feet and he's giving thanks, he's giving praise, he's thanking the miracle maker. Only one returns. Only one gives praise. The other nine are so focused on their lives returning to the way they once were and getting back into the rhythm of their day that they forget the thankfulness that is due. Only one returns. Friends, here's the challenge for us all. We can walk through our journey with Jesus and our walk with the Lord and be in recipients of God's good grace and God's miraculous power and the transformation that comes from his hand. And we can be so focused getting our lives back to where they once were that we too can be forgetful when it comes to giving praise. There is a definition that I want to share with you called what is gratitude? Gratitude I heard defined is this, it's a persistent attitude of returning thanks to God for his good work in your life. It's a persistent attitude. It's ongoing, it's never ending, it's always present. It's an attitude that that permeates all things. It's not an attitude of entitlement or an attitude of I deserve it. It's a persistent attitude of returning thanks to God, thanking him in the morning when you're given a new day and thanking him in the evening when you lay down to sleep and thanking him for the little things that are part of his provision to you and thanking him for the big things that when he moves mountains and you can see his hand. Thanking him most certainly for his presence in your life. Thanking him for his son Jesus who died in your place. Thanking him for the spirit of God that illuminates and walks and dwells with us. Thanking him for the community of believers that we're a part of. Friends, do we have much to persistently be thankful for? Friends, that's an amen moment right there. But it's a gratitude that is a persistent attitude of returning thanks to God for his good work in your life. And friends, let me tell you, this week you have shared many things that God has done in your life. Let me share a few of these without the names attributed. One of you said, you are fully thankful for God's, that God, upon confession of your sins, was faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you. 
You are thankful for the healing of broken relationships. You are thankful for a family with a spouse who loves the Lord and children who care for others and and a grandchild who brings so much joy. You are thankful that your spouse had a heart attack and literally died, yet before the day was out, God brought her back from the dead. Hallelujah. God is worthy of praise. Amen. You were thankful for the Lord's patience with you and his faithful provision. You were thankful for a spouse who loves you and shows you what it means to walk with Jesus daily. You are thankful that God speaks to you in a way that you can understand and that you can see. You are thankful that God has never given up on you, that God has never abandoned you, that God has never separated himself from you. You are thankful, one sister writes, for the compassion and the gentleness showed by a gracious God. One writes, I'm thankful that God has allowed me to experience even the consequences of my sin and that God leads me to repentance and gives me a new perspective. Hallelujah. Someone wrote, I'm so thankful to God that he has both healed our bodies but also has healed our marriage. One writes, I'm so thankful to God that when an unexpected baby came, God showed up and helped renew our faith. One writes, I'm so thankful to God that he raised me up in church and showed me what it means to receive the love of Christ. Someone wrote, I'm so grateful to God's grace that he never gave up on me when I was lost. One writes, I am so thankful to God that even in my mistakes and faults, God is faithful. Hallelujah. Uh, Friends, these are good. I didn't write these. You wrote these. These are things that you are thankful for. One brother writes, I'm so full of gratitude that God loves me despite myself. That his love is so undeserved, but so precious. A sister writes this, I'm so grateful that my relationship with my Savior has been deepened and I have come to rely on him more and more as I walk with my father who is suffering with Alzheimer's. I'll leave you with this one. A sister writes, I am thankful for hope. Life piles on sometimes and the load can be heavy, but as Christians, we can walk through the hard days knowing that God is with us. He's watching us. And no matter the outcome of this life, we will see the eternal glory that far outweighs it all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You see, my brothers and sisters, many of you are examples of the one that you have shared your gratitude. And so I stop and I conclude this message with this final question for us. Why only one and not 10? Why only one and not 10? This is the mic drop moment. This is the moment when Jesus is actually challenging not the one who has returned praise, but the nine who choose not to. In verse 17, Jesus turns and he answers, were Not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? 
He says, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Jesus asks the question. He sees the one, but he wonders about the nine. And it's so interesting, brothers and sisters, that the nine continue going to show themselves to the priest. The nine continue following what they have been called to do. The nine don't halt, even though Jesus could certainly have commanded and controlled and turned them in their very steps to bring them back to his knees. He had the power to control the wind and the waves. He can walk on water. He can turn people around. But he chose to let them go about their business because a forced praise, a required praise is no praise at all. When you're made to give glory to God, it's not as if it's coming from the freedom from your heart and the expression of your gratitude. So Jesus didn't control them. He let them go. He won't control you. And he won't control me. He leaves gratitude as a choice. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 says this. Therefore... As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, abounding in thanksgiving, blossoming in thanksgiving, bursting in thanksgiving, joyfully expressing your thanks to God. Do you abound, overflow? Do you express not under his control or mandate, but it's out of your heart comes gratitude. Do you find yourself rejoicing in the Lord? And rejoicing is something we're all commanded to do. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 And 17 says this, we heard it this morning, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Which circumstances? All circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All moments, all opportunities, all occasions, this is God's will for us to rejoice. So I ask you, which is more descriptive? Are you more like the one or are you more like the nine? Are you more like the one who returned praise? Are you more like the nine who left without a thought? I'm gonna invite the praise team to join me here. And we're going into a period of worship through communion. And there is no better way, in my opinion, of celebrating and giving thanks and returning praise to the Lord than reflecting about what has been done on the cross. You know, Jesus instructed us as we take communion and as we receive the elements to remember and to reflect. And that is the source by which we give gratitude and praise and honor. As the the nine went on their way, they stopped remembering what had been done, but the one returned praise. And this morning, I'm going to invite you as we gather in this time to come each to one of the stations and take a cup and a piece of bread and then return to your seat 
And at the time when we have returned, I will walk us through the communion steps. But as we do it, if any of you need to stop at the altar before you take the elements, as if you were kneeling at the feet of Jesus in gratitude and in praise and in worship, you are invited and free to do so. Would you bow your heads with me as we begin this time of communion and prayer? So Lord Jesus, we come with thankful hearts, gratitude, sense of your miraculous work in our life and we wanna say thank you. We wanna say how much we how much we are so unworthy of your transformational power. And we thank you, Lord, for each and everything you do in our life, each and every moment that has been given. Lord, as we enter into this time of communion, I pray that our hearts would be full of gratitude, bursting with praise, abounding in thanksgiving, coming forth with all of our soul to say, Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for your shed blood and your broken body, which was given for us. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.